Well, as predicted, it's popped its ugly little head again. The European Super League plans are back on the table. Only, this time, maybe we'll want it. Welcome to the Big Kickoff Football Show in a week where Manchester City are digging fast to cover up their tracks, allegedly. A new 60-80 to 80 team Super League is, well, it's all the conversation at the moment. And the manager, merry-go-round, throws up some really interesting questions. My name is Roy Shanahan and I'm joined by David Bugle and Neil Dobbs from TheBigKickoff.com. And now, as you know, Neil's a staunch Liverpool fan, uh, unlike his brother, who followed Manchester United for 30 years and has since changed his allegiance to Liverpool Football Club. Yeah, let that soak in. All right, that's uh, yeah. Send your letters and uh, of disagreement uh, to the Big Kickoff 96.4 gmail.com. But this week, Neil decided. I said, I asked Neil. I said, Neil, put the topics together for the show. A more Liverpool-biased topic I couldn't see in my life. <laughs> he had to mention Manchester United and how not so good Casemiro was. So, Neil, I think we're going to start. I know we've got the European Super League. I know we've got uh, Manchester City. But let's just talk about Casemiro. Vertecom as great as CDM in the world. And your words, thoughts on him. Let's go, Neil. Yeah, well, look, obviously the reason why I wanted to talk about it is because everywhere you go these days, this thing with Casemiro's going on, he's into United, United are doing well. Now, listen, there's absolutely no doubt, before I even start or even try a rant, <laughs> he, the guy is quality. I mean, he won so many European Cups with uh, Real Madrid. He was obviously a vital part of that cog, or they would have replaced him long, long ago. But he comes to England, he comes for a very, very hefty fee, a fee that obviously Madrid weren't willing to match in the guise of a new contract because Madrid are trying to bring in Chimeni and a few of them and blood the new guys. But he comes over, I, don't get me wrong, I think he's doing a good job. But what reason I brought this up, they were watching the Crystal Palace game, which we all did maybe, two, what was it, two weeks ago. And in the 85th minute, Casemiro has to make a challenge, which it could have been a red at the time, but he got sent or he got a yellow and it was the faces of the United fans, sorry, the United players was like of, of remorse. Oh my God, I can't believe you've gotten your yellow. They were on the pitch. Fernandez gave him the look. Do you know, remember the Roy Keane and Skulls look when he got him booked in the semi-final? It was real, real, you know, edge of the sea. And then it cut to the studio then after the game and they weren't talking about United blowing two points in the last minute. You know, Redknapp and all were just going on about, oh, but Casemiro missing, Casemiro missing because obviously they were playing Arsenal that weekend. So, Maybe the debate is out there because we didn't get to see Casemiro against Arsenal, against Thomas Partey, um, who they're basically saying is his his mirror, the nearest to him. Do you feel, Neil, that there's been too much made of it? Or do you think that because there's so much talk about it, that there, there's an insecurity behind it that will actually see them perform a, a lower, I suppose, height of performance? Um, I, I think about when I was thinking about this during the week, the fact that he's gone in there to replace uh, Fred and McTominay, who was so for so long the kind of backbone, the holding two midfielders, and he can kind of do it by himself with Ericsson in beside him, and he makes it look a hell of a lot easier. So from that point of view, no, don't get me wrong, he's a massive, massive upgrade on them two. Um, but I just think... I don't know. You, you very rarely hear. Maybe Kante was the last one to get this kind of adulation as a CDM because he was so good at it. But Casemiro's not even here a season. Like, how long is he here? It's half a season and they're going on about him as if he's done something. That's how good he is now. He's you know? done nothing. <laughs> <laughs> but now they do is lose it, a lot more with him. Tell me this. Is it just a little bit? Is there a little bit of hurt just where Liverpool are, are just <laughs> struggling that bit and there's that little positivity in the, in the local rivals that... It's irking you a bit. It's it's like Mortal Kombat, Roy. Something happened in Brazil <laughs> where Casemiro and Fabinho faced off and Casemiro soaked <laughs> in all his power. And now Fabinho's a shell of a man and Casemiro is this, you know, 
he's just the most unbelievable CDM that ever was. It does reek a little bit, you know, the way the media every now and then gets into a player and they big him up and big him up. Um, Virgil van Dijk, if I was put on my Liverpool hat, he gets bigged up sometimes. And even when even Thiago got it as well, Neil, yeah. for a while, for a few months when he first came in, you know, it gets a bit silly sometimes. But it's just when you compare them to the likes of that, you you do it does go a little bit overboard. But he isn't the whole reason for Man United turn around, albeit a very important cog in the team. Um, okay. But yeah. So, so what, what I do was, you think is he? I was watching last night. Okay, I was watching the Manchester United and Leeds game last night, and one thing that stood out for me was the partnership of Casemiro and Eriksen uh, was hugely missed. One, Casemiro, because the amount of gaps that Leeds had to to stroll through the Manchester United midfield was, it was appalling. They gave them so many opportunities. Now, Leeds are, were, were good at going forward and, and full of energy and all that. That's great. But there wasn't that, there doesn't be that many gaps when Casemiro's there. The second one was when Eriksen is playing, they are a hell of a lot more creative than they were last night. There was a lot of getting up in and around the box and not a lot happening where Ericsson seems to open up things a little bit. So I don't think that it's lighthearted that people are saying it about Casemiro because I do think that it's a huge difference in the team from the last couple of years. And in fairness, Manchester United haven't had a good CDM uh, in a long time. I hate calling them CDMs, just a defensive midfielder, a midfielder. Uh, box to box. Beef. Because, well, he's actually not even a, cent- a CDM because he's, he's, he gets, he's box to box, he gets goals and he's, you know, he's, he's not, he's not just sitting there. So it is kind of a different way that he's playing. He's not sitting like Kante would. In all fairness, Kante did start changing his game when he got changed around. Dave, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, like, behind Ten Hag, he's the second best thing this year to happen to United without a shadow of a doubt. I still think that the manager certainly is number one for me and then Casemiro like the like listen in in relation to Neil it's not going to be hard to look good when you're coming in for Fred and McTominay and the fact that he wasn't there last night his stock went up even higher because even I watched it last night and I became a United fan going geez this Fred is shite you know he didn't have a good game at all like and I became a United fan for a while because like I've heard about them long enough giving out about him but there was moments where I kind of liked him for a few like over the while and maybe it was the underdog in me uh, that, that supported but, you know, it's sometimes there is a bit of overhype, as I said. Like, you know, no one ever mentioned him when he was at Real Madrid. It was all the plaudits went to, to Cruz and Modric. And I mean, the guys who are now singing the praises of how, how good he is, they never said boo about him in a Real Madrid jersey. The truth is, maybe obviously because he was in their shadows and now he's obviously come out of that shadows and gone to United. But he has a similar two in front of him. He's kind of got two creative technical players in the terms of Ericsson and Fernandez. And Fernandez is arguably playing his best football even better than when he first came and it has to be down to the influence that Casemiro has and then of course you've got Ericsson in there as well so even if Casemiro does do a bit of the donkey work and wins the ball he then gives it to two very creative lads who very much know how to protect the football so therefore he's able to then get involved in the attacking side of things and not just sit there and do the boring job that doesn't get the headlines he can do a bit of both so there's no denying but like as I said in, in my text it's just it's the hype a little bit going, we've heard this, like the, everything is nowadays obsessive with putting people in boxes. Is this the greatest kid of all time? Is this the new Maradona? Is this the new Pele? And straight away now, is this guy, the, I, I don't care. He's just a great bloody player and enjoy him. And as I said, he's been a fantastic addition, uh, second to Ten Hag without a shadow of a doubt with United this season. Yeah, I, I looked up an article there about Real Madrid and the quote that came out of it that I kind of focused on was about Casemiro. And it says, this is a quote from Zidane Zidane. He says, the only player who doesn't have a replacement is Casemiro. And so he felt in his team that he had other players who could do the job, but Casemiro was the only one that they couldn't really, uh, no one else could do justice for the position. So uh, I, I, I listen, I get it. And I get the whole, the whole talk about, you know, bigging it up sometimes it's it's nearly you're nearly giving the, the opposition that kind of a, a mental uplift you know you look at Leeds now and they, now they know they're going to play against them at the weekend they're not going to have Casemiro again and you know it does kind of you, you do need to maybe that's up to the manager though he has to get someone else in now who can do that covering job that he's not going to be as missed as badly but that's that's a, a, probably a little bit down the line as well. And again, okay. he's, he's missing them both. As in, he's missing Ericsson now because he's injured. So you might not get to see that partnership together for a while. Yeah. 
Okay, listen, we're going to go on. Going to stay with you, Dave, because the European Super League popped up its head there again today, and it's it's an interesting one this time because it's not just twelve teams; it's half of Europe. It looks like that they're they're going to go for something structured like a four uh, league system, uh, promotion, relegation. It kind of seems and feels like a slightly larger nations league for clubs. Yeah. What have you got there? Yeah, so 822 management who were behind the original European Super League with the 12 clubs, I think it was, which is now kind of down to three, but obviously a lot of other people are in the background as well. So they want to open it up and there is no one set in stone. So it isn't going to be a set group of clubs every year. It will be based on merit potentially on their domestic leagues. Um, There's going to be a minimum, I think, of... 14, 14 games or 16 games in their leagues or whatever it may be. So this will go in roughly by the sounds of it in the same calendar as the UEFA Champions League. So um, obviously it went down like a lead balloon in, in, in England, as we all know, and it seemed like that was it. And basically what's happened is they're, so A22, they've continued to push it and basically this is a very quick version of the, the exact kind of where with all of it. So basically no one is being ring fenced is is far removed from the initial plan of the single 20 team league of which 15 were permanent so the clear problem is that the initial idea was so badly received it was very hard that they will ever come back however the european club association um another problem is the european clubs association is more closely aligned with uefa than it's ever been and the uefa president and the eca chairman nasser al khalafi both share a vision for the future that would be hard to overcome which is the new revamped champions league that sounds a bit similar to this. Um, but the European Court of Justice ruling on UEFA's status, which is due this spring, uh, will shape the narrative around the story. So the Advocate General's opinion, which was released in December, was that UEFA should allow rival competitions, but they're well within their rights to block entry into its own. So say, for example, Liverpool joined this Super League, they're well within the rights to stop them from the Champions League. Now, that's a bad example because Liverpool aren't going to make the Champions League next year. But you know what I'm trying I said I'd use them instead of being a bit snipey. So they're well within their rights to block a team from in their competition. However, they're at the moment, the opinion of the Advocate General is that you can't block potential new tournaments, but you can block teams from entering your own. So it so that's it. it was on. So that doesn't sound good for the Super League concept, given the domestic leagues are also in UEFA's corner. But the A22, this management company, think that the ECGA's decision will be able to give them a bit of wriggle room. So the door is slightly ajar because of this decision. And obviously, if it goes their way through the European Court of Justice, they think there's a cracking chance. So in the meantime, Madrid, Juventus and Barcelona want to continue. Uh, they continue to look enviously at the uh, continuing growth of the Premier League. And this is the most prominent thing, which many believe is now a Super League in all but name. So really for the rest of Europe is we can't keep up with the Premier League and we have to keep trying to find a way to create something that can get us on a par with the English clubs. Okay, so just just to break it down a little bit, it, it was quoted that this is a league for the 27 euro countries or something like yeah. that. But not only that, they weren't ruling out having England in it either. So, uh, because that would probably be silly to do that. This isn't necessarily Champions League and the Super League. This is more a Super League taken over the Champions League yeah, and like trying to take the power from UEFA and why do UEFA have the monopoly of football in Europe and FIFA probably in the world uh, and this is why it's gone to the courts isn't it? Yeah exactly and that's why it's gone to courts that's why uh, as I said this guy who's the Advocate General of the European Court of Justice has ruled that yet yeah, anyone's well within their rights to open up a competition however UEFA can ban clubs who are members of UEFA going to rival so they're well within their rights to kind of block people however anyone can come in and say what could they ban them from though because how, how could they ban them if there's no competition there for them to be banned from if the, if, they, if they all jumped over to Super League Champions League's gone you know oh, so I presume so but that's this is the big they could ban them, pr- ban them from playing maybe in the international teams or whatever yeah, like that maybe be, but might be to go further. Yeah. It's, 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 there's obviously way more into it than this but as I said they're saying it doesn't look like much is going to happen. However, this crowd, A22, believe it might open up the, the door a little bit more if they get, yeah, A22, whatever that means. 
it will open up the door for 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 a potential uh to get to 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 get a bit of parity but ultimately let's be honest lads it's exactly what it said in that last paragraph the big boys can't earn enough money in their own domestic leagues they need this yeah. Yeah. to try and bring in the same money that the english leagues uh are the english league is bringing in because the commercial rights and the tv rights that uh, the premier league are making at the moment they're on a different planet compared to everyone else and these guys are desperate so if the english come on board whatever but they need it more than the than the premier league that's for sure and that's yeah. what it's really about so neil when if this came around and they decided to jump on board and UEFA couldn't stop them. This is this is a it's very damaging for UEFA, first of all, because obviously the finances that are in that Champions League are absolutely massive. Um but it doesn't mean that down the line somewhere that those four leagues couldn't be turned into two leagues and then turned into one league and we revert back to the initial Super League in time. Uh, I mean, that's a possibility, isn't it? Yeah, and I mean, look, it, it, I don't know about you, but for me, this feels, because they came out with kind of Rev 1, whatever, last year, year and a half ago, and it was shot down, this is like Rev 2 now, and they've kind of gone, they've changed it a little bit and saying it's multi-divisional, there's no one permanent, you know, it, it, they're 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 playing to the people that had the original the, the largest objections and saying well listen how about if we fix this and how about if we fix this so it feels like it has an inevitability that something is going to come in or something's going to change now that said we've been talking about the european super league a hell of a long time now in one format or another probably well over 20 years that this european league was going to start coming about maybe even since sky tv started coming on board and you know we were looking for different ways to play uh, champions league football but more often more games more prestige um but it does feel like it's something that is going to get there eventually, whether, as Dave was saying, they have to go through different courts in order to approve it, or whether, um, like the last time, it doesn't get eradicated as quickly as it did, and then it grows legs, and then it sprouts up in one format or another. Um, as a fan, I think you look at the Champions League as the ultimate, you look at the teams in it, you know, the prestige that goes with it, it's a big, big tournament. Um, and it's the one that everybody wants to win. And it, the fact that it's so hard to win is the reason why we all love it, because, you know, you, you need to be absolute top drawer in order to come away with the title and that. Um, but when they dilute it by two divisions, by 80 teams, by, you know, it, it, I, I struggle to see how it's going to have the same kind of appeal when, you know, Liverpool versus AC Milan on a 14 game streak doesn't matter. Do you know what I mean? Is if you know fourteen games or, li- or Liverpool lot, versus Bruges or something? Like I mean, so yeah. where, where is the excitement in that? Because they did talk about oh the initial games, and I heard um, Bernd talk about it. the initial games are games that people can kind of forget about, and they're not really up to too much. Yeah. But yeah. Let's just put it this way. There's promotion, there's relegation. We'll just stick with Liverpool because if Liverpool were in it, we'd be hoping to get relegated. But if they got relegated into the into the second division of it or whatever it is, and they're playing Bruges, they're not games that people really care about, are they? And will they even care about being in that second division if you're one of the big lads? going to say it almost becomes pointless then doesn't it if you're not competing at the top you know you want to be competing at the pinnacle of these competitions now like it or not the teams that get into the champions league every year um you know the ones you don't hear of every now and then are the smaller nations they still deserve to be there on merit for qualification for processes but if you're in the second division and you know yeah there's not as much emphasis on having the extra players having the larger squad maybe then it turns into like the Europa where you start blooding other teams mm. uh, the youths the 21s and the 19s etc so it, it loses its luster but that's it for me I mean at the end of the day the Champions League is what it is because it is the best team in Europe winning the best competition in Europe I don't really have any need to watch Division 2 version of Champions League what does no. it mean? Yeah, no. Dave, of, uh, as a fan for yourself, what do you? Yeah. How do so, you feel? It's a, it's kind of got a bit of a live golf live golf vibe off it, where somebody has go. this harebrained idea. I'll throw a bucket load of money on it, and they will get potentially say Real Madrid and Barcelona, and then you'll have five or six top six, top sides in this league, and then you'll have the English teams and one or two purists who want to stick with the UEFA model. And then both are getting damaged, and that, that's that's the fear factor I'd have because you know 
the Premier League aren't as desperate to get into this and they might try and take the moral high ground in, in this. And then who's to say this European Super League won't get expanded in terms of, ah, oh, we'll invite the best four teams from the Libertadores and then before you know it, the Saudi Arabian League teams might come in yeah, yeah, if, yeah. if Ronaldo still managed to make himself <laughs> fit and healthy in this 40. That's the fear, yeah. right? And then it becomes even, it turns into this World League. And I'm nothing against that, but like, you know, that's where I think it, it, it'd go because 80 teams in Europe, like the, the 32 teams at the moment, you know, we want to get the group stage gone as quick as possible. Well, it, you know well I mean? look, this is what I was going to say, Dave. If, if mm. UEFA had decided to put this together and say, this is yeah. the new revamped Champions League, we're going to have four leagues and, you know, yeah. we'd all be saying, well, it's, it's, not, it's not very exciting, is it? No. Because, well, there's no knockout. You know, is, is there a knockout at the end of this league? We don't know. Is the top four going to play each other? We have no idea what's going to happen there. Is the top two of each, you know, we haven't, uh, each league are going to play each other? We don't know. So, but either way, it's it's not as exciting when it comes into the latter stages. It doesn't look like it's going to be as exciting. So if UEFA was bringing this in, we'd probably be well against it. So if the format doesn't seem to fit, does it? No, and it's our only kind of real version, a bit like in America, where it's playoffs. Like the knockout stages are playoffs compared to, say, our league titles, where the top team over there, and rightly so, and that's the way it should be. But it's our kind of version of the playoffs. In the next week or two, this is it. The European Cup comes alive, and we're going to see some great drama over two legs, and then on to the next round, and the same thing. Like that's, that's what really sells the Champions League. Whatever about the group stage, Group stage is great for the lower teams who get a, generate a bit of revenue and get some of the yeah. big boys in town. And the big boys obviously will tip along and get their money. But this is it now. We're at the business end because this is what we as fans really love. So for me to watch Liverpool play week in, week out in a second league where potentially it's the same kind of format as the current league, the domestic league, no thanks. You yeah. Know? yeah, yeah, I think that the, the format is going to really... Mm kind of kill it now there's more to come out about it and it'll be interesting to see what way court uh, court cases go are they going to get you know permission to be able to do that or or is UEFA going to get I suppose powers taken away from that'll be very interesting to see and then see what way the clubs go for me I do I I don't think UEFA should have the right to be able to you know, control all the football, no matter what. I mean, that just leads to corruption, etc. And, you know, we, we know where everyone stands on that, you know. So uh, I do think that that should be challenged. I just, even though this could come in, I don't know if that's the way. It could come down the line where they have to, a bit like Sky, have to go for the bidding rights and BT have to go for the bidding rights and Amazon for the to show the Premier League. It may have to be, UEFA and uh, the European Super League have to go for bidding rights for European competitions or whatever and that might come down the line every five years or something like that but that'll be interesting to see um, OK well, listen we'll leave that there because there's a lot more to come with that and that's going to be over the next six months or so we'll, we'll see because I know the court case is something about uh, this fifth sixth month of this year or I think it's around May, June something like that that there's going to be some sort of announcement on that so uh, interesting to see Okay, Neil this week Manchester City were charged with more than 100 breaches of regulations spanning over a decade where do we go with this one because there's so much to talk about on this Um First of all, the 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 hundred breaches. All right, that's a lot. Now, this is something that the Premier League has looked into after the uh, different allegations in previous years. They've looked into. They've gained over, I think, a four-year period evidence on all these. They've put it to Manchester City, and the balls in Manchester City's court. What are we thinking from this? Yeah, I, I think, Roy, <clears throat> we're going to have uh, young kids that are going to be teenagers by the time this actually gets resolved because you've seen the, uh, one in the paper where they're saying they're bringing in a lawyer that's being paid as much as Kevin De Bruyne. I love the way they reference <laughs> De Bruyne. In it. They could have picked anybody. At least he's not on messy wages. Then maybe he would be the best in the world. But um, it feels like they're going to lawyer up and it feels like we're not going to get an answer out of this anytime soon. But the fact that the Premier League have made this investigation so... 
it means that the, 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 it's going to have to be answerable this time where they got away with the two-year uh, European ban the last time because they went to a higher court or a different court. This time, this is the actual Premier League putting in these charges. So there must be something to it. It doesn't just, as they were saying, come down to transfers, etc. It comes down to the way they fund the club, the way they move money, the way, as they were saying, they hide finances or hide um, earnings in order to do business in a different manner than everybody else. So in other words, they're gaining an advantage by by fudging the numbers, fudging the books. So it's a worrying thing. I think it's a damaging thing on City because everybody who's anyone right now is asking questions about Pep Guardiola, will he walk, um, about his integrity, about the integrity of the last five seasons in particular. And that's damning. Like if that was any other club and you were being questioned how you won that success that's going to hurt you long term. So that for me is the big one. The fact that whether the court case takes an extra five years, there's a taint on what City have achieved and they've achieved a lot in the last five years. So as you said, Simon Jordan was on the radio this morning discussing it and exactly what you've said there. He said that it could be two years before City go through everything and put it back in the court and then it might, it might be dealt with, but then there could be an appeal process from the Premier League. And as you said, it could roll on for four or five years. So this is not something that's going... So do you think... I'll just go stick with Neil for a sec. Do you think, Neil, that this is a problem for them only then? Or is this going to taint them a little bit over the next couple of years? Yeah, again, I was trying to kind of put it in my own shoes. And if someone came in and said FSG had a, some sort of spending anomaly... And it happened in 2019. Do you look back at it and kind of go as a fan? Oh, no, that was tainted. Or do you just move on as if, well, listen, we got away with it. Um, and there's another part of me that kind of thinks, I know financial fair play rules are there and they're there for a reason. But you have a lot of uh, clubs that do kind of throw mud on it. Like Chelsea are after spending more than everybody in Europe in one transfer window. Real Madrid, when it suited them for years, Barcelona are still doing it now. It, it feels a little bit... Um, Vincent Company turned around and said that it's very easy to point the finger, but some of these people who are pointing the finger need to be very careful that the finger's not going to be pointed back at them. Yeah, so Paris Saint-Germain, Chelsea, Real Madrid, Barcelona are the ones in my mind that speak out. They'd want to be careful what they say because they've done it for years. They dominate the market. They overspent. The Spanish clubs literally spent themselves into debt and then, like, the royalty would buy them out or buy a training ground because they weren't going to let an institution like Real Madrid uh, get into trouble. So, with City, look, it's the first maybe on our doorstep as far as the Premier League goes. Um, for me, though, I think, you know, if you're a fan, a real-time fan now of Manchester City, it's going to taint what you've achieved a little bit. I don't know how much that's going to hurt because you're still your name is still going to be on the trophies. By the time this comes out, it's not like you're going to backdate it to 2015 and go, oh, by the way, you didn't win the Premier League. You didn't win the FA Cup. It, it feels, I think the end of this, whatever it is, be a points deduction, be it something, it'll have to be something that transverses leagues and titles and money. It'll have to be something that will hurt them if found true, that will satisfy a lot of people. And then maybe you can say, right, draw a line under it. But to look back and say, oh yeah, 2018, they would have been 15 points worse off. It doesn't mean a whole lot, does it? Dave, Simon Jordan also said that if he's been in many a court case through his businesses and whatever like that, and he always found that he dealt with these court cases very efficiently and without problem because he always had truth on his side, was his words. Uh, He... he says that Manchester City seem to be hiding in the long grass an awful lot on this. And again, this will be probably kicked down the road another two years, which doesn't say a lot for their innocence. Um, this It doesn't look good for Manchester City on this. It looks like they're scrambling a bit. Yeah, and I think that's a significant thing. Like, why do you need to take three or four years to potentially... Uh, rifle through all the paperwork to find the loopholes to get out of it Mm. Uh, why do you need to work that hard why can't you just stand up and go we'll be ready in six months because that's how confident we are now it says something listen I think as Neil said we're going to have to be patient this is going to take a long long time the charges have just been cast and that's it 
Um, I think at the moment it's just a bit of fun and a bit of banter for all of us to speculate just how bad it could be and this, that and the other. Our league's going to be handed back and fair play to Lucas Leiva jumped in very quick and said, does that mean I'm a Premier League champion? Like obviously <laughs> tongue in cheek and I had a giggle to it. But to be honest, uh, you know, I just have it here as a screenshot. It's just the potential punishments because that's what people are kind of having a bit of a giggle for. And it's a it's a kind of a wide range. It, they could suspend the club from playing matches, points deductions, recommend to the board that the league expels the responding club, order compensation, cancel or refuse registrations, conditional punishments, blah, 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 blah. And then at the very bottom, make such others that they see fit. So the the, the, the list is potentially endless. Look, it, the, the, the ominous thing that sounds to me, because there's going to be so many stories about this because it's going to go on for so long, the ominous thing was when they it, it issued the, the um, charges was the fact that they said they were um, not very transparent and not very helpful and withheld information during the investigation. Mm. That's very damning, which means they're going to they're gonna make sure they get something on them in, in this instance because the fact that they weren't as uh, helpful as they should have been just, just, just doesn't sound quite right. And obviously, I'd say Guardiola, when it came out, went, for sake, I am dreading the first pre-match press conference on Friday because there'll be probably twice as many uh, uh, reporters there, everyone with their hands up, and we all know what they're going to talk about, and that is going to do his head in. He may very well really want to win the Champions League this year so he can do a legger. And I was just going to finish on that. I, if they <laughs> get their hands on that trophy this year, I'd be shocked if he doesn't say it there and then that night. Good luck. Yeah, good luck. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me at all. Dave, if all this is true, there's a hundred and whatever it was charges. Yeah. Uh, and the majority of them are found to be true and guilty. It's it's huge what the Premier League do then, as Neil kind of hinted at, because this will be the precedence. And yeah. if they don't go hard on all these charges, if they're found guilty, well, then what's to stop everyone else doing what they have done and be able to fall back on this? Absolutely. And that's what's going to be very interesting because I've been thinking about that a little bit this week going, geez, this is very damaging on Man City. But technically, it's kind of damaging on the Premier League as well. And they, as much as they need to be doing this, they're probably thinking, Christ, I wish this could go and go away just as quick because it doesn't look good for our product either. So then I got fearful going, are they going to somehow let them away with it and they'll come up with a deal? You know, but hopefully they don't and they stick to their guns. And I hope they're already looking at everyone. At, well, not everyone else, but hopefully they are looking at others that seem suspicious straight away. Mm. Everyone puts their hand up and gone 600 million in the last two windows with Chelsea. So what, what the hell? Like, and these eight and nine year contracts, are they not kind of doing the same thing in front of everyone's face? Um, obviously Newcastle are quite sensible right now because they probably know let's not, let's just do this nice and steady for a few years and, and we'll find a way. And they're probably watching very intently. And yeah. just to say everyone else is honest. So to be honest, you know how many charges they are actually guilty of it doesn't really matter they need to be strong and stern about this because and one thing's for sure certainly not financial penalties because that they'll take that all day long of course they have money to burn what was it 10 million for the european one in order they got away with it basically but what would be interesting for me i know people are slagging about titles and this that and the other I wouldn't want the title. I wouldn't want the 2014 title. I think it should be potentially taken away from City, but I think what they should do is, and this is the only financial penalty, where, you know, Liverpool or Man United aren't going to get all that excited with an extra title in name on their role of honour. But if they have, if City have to pay them compensation for their loss of revenue for being the league champions that year and Very have good. to pay their rival clubs money for loss of earnings and loss of revenue... That's a punishment. Yes, we'll pay you fine. But guess what? It's going to your Liverpool's and United's of this world. And well, sure, that's else. that's the whole league, Dave, because they all oh, yeah, lose earnings for not finishing in certain places. But I have no issue getting with relegated. That, yeah, actually, because, the teams who get relegated could be financially better off than yeah. the Manchester United's, Liverpool's, or Spurs. Hundred percent. You're dead right. So I, I, I'm, it probably is highly unrealistic. But if they were to be hit in the pocket, it would be interesting if it has to go to some of their rivals or who they yeah. defeat. It's like a knock-on effect. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. get rewards from being successful, but you need to give some of it back to the people who you've, in theory, cheated. 
the sad thing about it is, lad, you know, when you see a club that's been fine, be it they go into administration, they get fine points. Remember Derby County, mm. uh, look at U of A, they were very, very swift to kind of act and demote the team and then dock them points. This just feels too after the fact. It's gone on too long already. If they're investigating them over the last 10 years, how the hell has it taken this long? And then by the time any sort of repercussions are handed down, sure, no one's going to bloody care anyway. So See, I think it takes so long, Neil, to get, the, to get the evidence. It's oh, all yeah, right to sure. have a sniff, but to get the evidence is the, is the, is the tough part. And it, what I believe is, is that it's a, they, their computer systems got hacked. So this is where they got the Whoa. evidence. And I don't know how much of that can be used or cannot be used. Yeah. And But I think you can put stuff to them and say, can you prove that it's not? And so it, I think it's, it's, a, it's very complicated. Uh, but they're obviously at that position now where they've got around all that and they've got to that yeah. stage. So, yeah, um, I can't. W- hopefully we're doing the show in about three years, four years time <laughs> so we can see the conclusion of this one. And uh, there'll, Neil, be, there'll be a new documentary, Welcome to Manchester, when they're in the National League, a bit like Wrexham, and they're going to have yeah. to try and do it all over again. Uh, Neil, we'll talk about just quickly on City on how they're performing at the moment because things aren't going all that well. <laughs> Is it just as simple as that the players that they have in now are not of the quality of the players that they had in before? Yeah, I mean, look, when, when City let go of, say, David Silva, right, there's a good example of a guy that went, but you knew exactly who was going to step into his shoes as soon as he left the gate. They let go of Fernandinho and um, Rodri stepped into his place. So it seemed to be a natural progression of City of who they're going to have and how they're going to strengthen. I was just looking at the weekend there. So they're after letting Cancelo go. They've Nathan Ake playing either as the left-hand side of a tree or as a left-back. And I just don't get that. I don't think he's good enough. I don't think he plays there. I think he's weak. I think you you couple him with a Kanji. Lewis sitting in front of him who is unproven. He's a young lad. I wouldn't go in on him. Diaz can't stay stay fit. And then you look at some of their team, like Gundogan and Bernardo, they probably don't have the legs that they once have, which is why City play the way they do, which is death by a thousand passes rather than end-to-end stuff. But we're seeing this year teams get at them a hell of a lot more than we have in the last two years. I don't know how many times they've been a goal or a goal or two down um, in their own stadium, and then they've had to come back in the second half. Now, they've answered the questions, and they've come back sometimes very compellingly and, and, and efficiently, but they keep getting themselves in this situation where you look at them and you think, they're vulnerable. It's the weakest I've seen them. Like you look at the Brian that was off the bench the other night. That was the weakest I've seen an 11. Now don't get me wrong. It's not a weak 11. They're comfortably in second place, but they're not what they were. If you look at the way they uh, chased Liverpool and then got ahead of Liverpool and just won every game, you don't get that same aura from that team. But don't get the same do aura. Don't get the same aura since after the World Cup than before the World Cup. They seem to be on fire before the World Cup. And, and whatever's happened after the World Cup, we'd kind of thought Holland would be on fire when he comes back. He's going to have a big rest and everything. And that kind of hasn't materialised. Yeah, I don't think... Look, I'm not going to jump in a bandwagon that Holland is at the wrong club or anything like that. But you can see they're not really getting everything that they need for him. But my view on that is... When uh, Pep had five midfielders, you had Mares, you had Foden, you had Sterling, you had Jesus, um, you know, yeah, and De Bruyne, they'd all pop up somewhere and get you a goal. It wasn't one guy getting you 25 goals a year. It was several guys getting you eight to 12 goals a year. And that was more than enough for them to hit 97, 98 points. But they seem to have this year put hedged their bets on Haaland. And that's taken away your, your Sterling and your Jesus. Foden can't seem to stay... I'd say fit or focused, I don't know which it is since he got the contract. And they seem to be more reliant now on the Bruyne than they ever were. And um, mm. whereas in previous years, again, Bernardo Gundogan had a season unbelievable, like two seasons ago. So I think he sacrificed the the, the many, as in the, the no striker, false nines, all that, for a proper out and out striker that we all thought they needed. And it's not quite clicking as of yet. Do you think though, Dave, that the fact that the likes of Lewis, Palmer, even Grealish, that, that these type of players, you can have one of those in, but having maybe two or three of them in weakens the structure of the team. Uh, Grealish, they were talking about him the other day, but always oh, after playing really well in the last three games, it's about bloody time because he's only there, what is it, a year and a half now and he hasn't really performed. Uh, the, the two other lads are young lads, which is, you're expecting an awful lot for them. He blooded 
Foden in over a few years, and now these are kind of get, dripping in a little bit quicker. So, yeah, so again, is it, do you think it's them players that are just they're, they're not up to scratch, and you can only introduce one at a time yeah. uh, and very slowly, rather than trying two or three? Yeah, whatever about the younger lads, you know, they're gonna get they're gonna get experience, whether it's at City or elsewhere. But they're still too early in their career. But the, the greatest one is, is is bang on the money in terms of like. Obviously not on his form with Chelsea, but there's no comparison in his body of work at Man City in Raheem Sterling and, and Jack Grealish because Sterling was very much a Guardiola's type player after a couple of uh, months and a year or two into his, his career with them. And he was very much, he could do a bit of both, cut in and, and get some goals himself, but he was brilliant at getting in behind uh, the, the line of defence and laying across goal, goals into the box. Grealish pretty much just slows it down and cuts inside. He's not really the type that can bomb past and get in behind the line of defence, which what a city were obsessed with. So their style of play has slightly changed because of personnel, and it's not just Haaland. You know, there's an element of Haaland, but there's other elements as well. Are we but, kind of saying that they need a few players in? Yeah, because my point, and you were you, you kind of have pretty much said it, and it was we was going to. I'll, I'll just say it doubly quick. You know, everyone has squads and two players for every position, but from top to bottom. Everyone has a really strong starting eleven, and you know pretty much nine or ten of them. And it's fairly factual this year. Arsenal's starting eleven has improved with uh, Zinchenko and Jesus Saliba, and then not only that, last year's have stepped up as well. I.e., Partey, Xhaka, Odegaard, Rose. So their eleven's improved. So obviously their results have improved. United exactly the same with Martinez, with Casemiro, and then the form of other players has risen. So their starting eleven's improved. Newcastle's has improved. Now you look at the top two from last year and it's very obvious their starting 11s are not strong enough at the moment. So really, regardless of squads, their really top 11 core group have weakened and it's no surprise that City have come back into the group and Liverpool have completely fallen out of the group and are in the chasing pack at best at the moment. And that's what it is really because as much as you can have, a, it's a squad game and everyone has a squad, deep down even the very best team has their kind of best 10 like 10 to 14 of their starting 11 core group yeah. and uh, they've definitely been weaker there's no two ways about it okay right well we'll go on to a few I suppose little decisions that have been made in the managerial merry-go-round and Neil Jesse Marsh well it's time to say goodbye Leeds fans weren't overly shocked or, or unpleased by it but that goes hand in hand with, with fixtures that they probably should win and didn't win. And Knott's Forest was one of those that they felt was a very winnable game. Yeah, it's <clears throat> when I wrote these points, obviously Leeds didn't get the result that they did against United last night. So um, it just shows football is a funny game, isn't it? Within a few days, you've gone from a, a low, a very, very low, low um, to a very, very high point. So uh, Jesse Marsh is just interested in watching the American kind of uh, influence on the squad last night, two American midfielders playing in front of Leeds, uh, Leeds' back line, and then obviously Marsh is out the door. So um, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll see when the next manager comes in what his flavour will be. But uh, it's not like they didn't give him time. Um, I just think maybe the timing of it, as in with two games within a close proximity and then saying, right, we'll pull the trigger, but like, you know, when you're running a club, you got to make the decisions. And obviously the first one has paid off because they got a result last night. But um, yeah, for Again, Marsh. Again, you know, panic, is it not? Because if they were going to do it, they would have done it at the start of the window and let someone else come in. This kind of seems, well, yeah, we were happy with them and we lost against someone down there. Panic. The strange one for me is that someone said they were considering Bielsa, bringing back Bielsa. And if that isn't panic, I don't know what is. So I, I don't understand. Don't get me wrong. It's your prerogative as club owner when you want to sack the manager. But surely your first kind of port call is to say, right, who's going to come in after him? So straight away, the minute Leeds said they were looking for a coach, uh, the West Brom coach signed a new contract as if to say, right, you're not talking to him. You're not giving permission and we're, we're sealing him up. So they don't seem to have a plan B now and they're talking Bielsa, which just seems absolute madness considering it's only been a year or so since that happened. So, yeah, don't get me wrong. I hope they're not rudderless for the next couple of weeks. But um, And there's a couple of others, isn't there? Quick. Real Vallecano, Feyenoord boss. They've been looking at these, these managers and all the clubs are saying, no, you're not talking to them. No, you're not talking to him. So well, who wants to let a manager go right now, Roy? You know what I mean? It's well, we're getting into the it. business end of the season. This is why the, it's 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 panic stations because they don't even have a plan. So Dave, I, I did hear Mark Hughes was uh, 
someone that may be a backup plan. Mark Hughes has had his day, hasn't he? He's, I know he's down with Bradford at the moment, but surely he's yeah, had his day. Potentially, but like, unfortunately, Neil is not wrong. Well, is wrong in one of the sentences, but it's not his fault. He hasn't got time. Jesse Marsh did not get time. No manager gets time nowadays. You have to be perfect right away or you're sacked. It's an impossible gig almost anymore. Mm. It's ridiculous. They even got somebody of the caliber of uh, McKinney from uh, Juventus and within a couple of days they sack. Um, and he probably got it off the back of Jesse Marsh. And I'm not saying he'd, he'd have caught them, he'd have, he'd have kept them safe, but he'd have just as good a chance as whoever else they get in because, you know, that's just the nature of the beast, uh, the way it is in the Premier League and it's competitive. But he didn't get, now that's not me defending him. I don't, I'm not saying he's the right man. But it's just crazy the way it is nowadays. You know, look at the response that Everton and Leeds gave the very first game after their two managers get sacked. If I was Marsh and Lampard, I'd be spitting fire, you know, because it just goes to show you what players could do if they bother their arse or they have a bit of a fear because uh, they know they've somebody else to impress. And it just goes to show how important the core group of players you get into your side. And that's where it sits with managers. I get it. But you know, it's a near impossible job now to really be successful in the club. And the, if you get two or three years out of a, out of a club, you've done well and you must have done well in order to stay in it. Like this whole, it takes time to build a team and to build a team to try and further grow up this league. It's getting harder and harder with the big seven now, I suppose you could mm-hmm. say. Newcastle. So even if they did, like Jesse Marsh, the best he can do is just stay in the league for a couple of years and then at best maybe be a top 10 side but then you have to get the billionaire in order to break into the top seven. So yeah. what do you want? Like, yeah. what do you want? Like, it took like walking a tight the very yeah. last thing. And the reason why, like, we'll talk about it another time. But Ian Holloway was on a podcast a couple of weeks ago, and I had to listen to it because he's a good crack and he's a good character. And he was on with Kamara and Ben Shepard. And it was on about management. And I can't remember the context of what they were talking about, but he just said a, a, a very simple stat and then flipped it on its head. He said, the best there ever was, Sir Alex Ferguson had a 59% win, uh, win percentage with Manchester United. That sounds well and good. And they're like, yeah, yeah. But think about it in another way. In every game, there was a 41% chance where he didn't win. That doesn't sound that great, does it? And mm-hmm. he said he was the best there ever was. That's how hard this game is. And then you've got people, oh, they lose two games, gone, get out of here. And yeah. look, it took him 25 years to hit the very top. And he's the exception, you know? And he took all these many years. And look at Klopp four or five years before he hit the promised land. But these lads, the best they can do is be mid-table. And the cheek of some of these owners, see the problem, this is the last piece. I think the problem is because of the size of the Premier League now and the money it brings in, you've got half people upstairs who are just pure business people and the other half are football and there's no connect with the two of them. Yeah. The football people are probably saying it takes a year or two and they're going, no way, if we go down, we're screwed. Well then, let's try and find a marriage in the middle and we can. there's a chance of building something here and too many clubs just don't have that kind of connection and that's why this merry-go-round is crazy because the last that I'll tell you the championship this year 24 teams are in it 16 of them have already changed managers oh Jesus um, well let, let's let's talk about one of the greatest managers ever uh, he's at home now he's moving the wife's good vase with the flowers in it uh, because he's eyeing up a February manager of the month Sean Deutsch uh, he just <laughs> needs a couple more wins and it's in the bag Neil it, it shows that there's I was looking at what they were doing in the background and they said that Sean Deutsch got the players in initially this was before he won the first game and he said right. he was running them into the ground he was doing a pre-season with them he said he now he didn't say, come out and say it but more or less said yeah we're working hard on, on, on making these lads fit as possible in other words they're not fit enough and there's a lot of talk that there was with Frank Lampard there's a lot of a lot of the training was you know working on passing and what to do in the final third and all and just not the work rate and just not making people appreciate how much work you have to put in uh, is this a reason why Sean Deutsch could get everything over where we all seen everything is probably doomed um, I don't know if I've seen him as doomed but I definitely think he had his work cut out from Frank Lampard and that was I think if you look at the perception when you see Rafa Benitez and Chalotti go in and work with a group of players and they can't really get them out of that kind of zone, which is the kind of bottom six zone, and then you come, Frank Lampard comes in and you think to yourself, he shouldn't have the experience or the tactical news that they would have. So therefore, he's at maybe a little bit of a loss. 
Um, but then, listen, you break football down to every game, comes down to blood and guts, it comes down to determination and, and players going on the field, regardless of what went on beforehand and tactics, etc., and going in full-blooded into challenges and winning the game. So can Sean Dyche get that right 100% where the players respond to his kind of maybe military tactic going in week one and literally ruffling the feathers we can see that they definitely did but he'll be ultimately judged over you know the next couple of games it won't be just a one-off game can he get that reaction by working them hard week in week out can you do the same thing listen the guy's been around the premier league long enough to know how to get teams out of that trouble and he's also been around long enough to get a team relegated so i mean experience a guy that has a good a specific way of playing a very simple message and let's be honest you know, I, I was saying it was a Deutsch-esque perform or a Deutsch-esque performance because, you know, Pickford with his 90-yard crossfield balls and three lads on the fullback, you know, the goal from the set piece. It was literally a week-long training camp of how to be Burnley and they pulled it off to absolute exception. So you got to tip your hat to the fact that he can get such a quick message into those players, the fear of God into those players and then get a performance against Arsenal, who are kind of would-be title winners. Yeah. It doesn't um, get much better than that. What a game to follow up on Monday. And if he was to get that second win in Anfield, forget about it. You know, that's the momentum to to finish off the season strong, to beat the current league leaders and their greatest rivals, oh, yeah. who they've had a shocking record. If he, does, if he does drag them out of it, Dave, because this oh, is yeah. after the transfer window, even the transfer, well... He had a, a couple of days in the transfer window. They got no one in the transfer window. If they get out of this, does does this all come down to Sean Deutsch? He deserves a lot of credit, 100%, um, and deservedly so. It kind of goes back to what I was trying to get at with experience. Like he, like Lampard and Gerrard still have a couple of years le- to sink their teeth and earn their stripes. Like they, they haven't a clue of this kind of football. And I'll be honest with the two of them, they could be in that caliber of, they don't really understand how to work with ordinary players because there was that famous quote when Hoddle was with Swindon, why don't you just do this? And he had the ball, he'd done a spin and he hit a 50 yards and your man goes, but I'm not you, I can't do that. And I think that's when Hoddle realised, okay, I have to come down another level. Maybe these lads don't realise that there's a little bit more to this game and it came easy to them, you know what I mean? Deutsch obviously played through the hard times himself. He knows what needs to be done to hit certain heights and... Uh, yeah, he'll deserve a lot of credit. And I just think, bit will like Everton, stay up 17th or higher, job done. And even next year, the same again, because there's a chance for Everton, if they're sensible with the new ground and everything else, that they can slowly but surely work their way up that table and become that disruptive side that they used to be under Moyes. But it's going to take a few years, but how many managers there's going to be remains to be seen. Yeah, I tell right. you, Roy, I, it's the first time in my memory in the last while that Everton are going to Liverpool, and I actually I would put yeah, these odds on favourites to win this game. <laughs> they could not get the Liverpool at a better time. Put, yeah. I tell you, put your money, your house, your mortgage, Tarkowski headed goal or Cody headed goal. Oh. Someone's getting a headed goal in the back line. There's only four of them, but uh, it's going to happen. Uh, I'll be It'll watching be from game. behind the It'll sofa. It'll be a good game to see. Oh, yeah, they better find, every, somebody, every set piece. find somebody who can take a long throw as well and just bombard that back line. There you go. Now he's having me ready for this game. I can't wait for it. I can't wait for it. <laughs> Listen, thanks very much, everyone, for listening. As always, don't forget to follow us, whatever you're watching, listening to us on, if it's Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, uh, Spotify, or whatever other p- podcast provider, do follow us. And uh, if you want to send in any questions, any topics that you think we want to talk about, discuss, uh, we'll talk about them. See you next week. <laughs>